Well, today we have the honor and privilege of hearing from Debbie Gisha, and we're going to be hearing about Hands for Haiti. So, Debbie, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so very much. Oh, hello, everybody. I was going to start with a prayer, but this was amazing. Um, So um, can we just, can I, I'm going to start with a prayer anyway. Is that okay? Okay. It will calm my nerves. Okay. Oh, Father God, thank you for um, bringing us all together here this morning. Thank you for um, just this work that so many people do as we just heard about. Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit work through me and just use my voice as um, really what is spoken here today is what you want us to hear and you want me to say. So I just ask that you just to bless my words and to bless our hearts again. Amen. So again, my name is Debbie Gisha. Thank you so much for your introduction. And um, I would like to introduce a few people to you. My wonderful husband, Jeff, that is um, a partner with me in this organization that we have. And then I have Irene Drews here and Bill Dooley and his wife, Terry, who are on our board. So I'd like to give them a round of applause for for all the just the work that they do, too, um, with Hands for Haiti. So... I'm going to tell you just a little bit about who we are, um, where we came from, and how we started. So this is um, Jeff and I way back in 2001, first time that we ever um, were called to go to Haiti. And so people ask us, why Haiti? There's a lot of things that need to be done here in the United States. So why did we go to Haiti? And so basically, why not? Um, I guess that's kind of a question that we asked ourselves. I really also believe in divine intervention. So just to tell you a little bit about our story. So we have five children. We were living in McBain, Michigan. It was the year 2000, 2001-ish. And we really were struggling with feeling like there was something else that God was calling to in our life. But we just couldn't figure out what it was. And if you know me, I come up with some really crazy ideas sometimes. Honey, we're meant to be foster parents. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Honey, we're meant to open a homeless shelter. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so. So anyway, one weekend he was off um, out of town and um, I really was feeling like God was really speaking to me that night, opened my Bible and I wish I would have, um, I just don't remember the verse. It wasn't Jeremiah, but it was a verse with God saying, I will let you know what my plans are for you. So I closed my Bible took our five children to church the next morning. And lo and behold, there was this priest there from Haiti that nobody knew where he had come from, but he was there at our parish. So evidently, our old pastor had scheduled him to come. He was no longer there anymore. Our new pastor had no clue he was coming, but he was there. So, you know when you're sitting out there and people are speaking to you and you think they're talking to you. They say, you, I'm talking to you. And you look around and you think, is it me? It's not me. That was what was happening to me. I kept thinking he's talking to me. But, of course, he was not talking to me in my mind. So afterwards, I'm trying to gather my five children by myself. Um, no offense, but <laughs> he wasn't there. <laughs> um, out the door. And this this man is walking through people trying to get to me. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I was talking to you. You need to come to Haiti. And of course I said, like anybody else would have said in that situation, yeah, okay, see you, bye. And I went out the door. So I get he gets home that night and um, I'm like just... Oh. 
because, you know, and um, he's like, how was your day? How was church? And I said, well, guess what? I think we're supposed to go to Haiti. And he looked at me and he said, hmm, tell me more. So I told him about my encounter with Father Alexis, and he said, let's call him. So 10 o'clock at night, we called these people from Grand Rapids, scheduled a meeting with him, and lo and behold, the next day we had plans to go to Haiti. So that was in 2001. So we started partnering with our parish, with another parish in Haiti. And so from 2000 until 2001, or 2001, I'm sorry, until 2009, we had this a group called Hope for Haiti, and we basically, our church was twinned with another church in Haiti. We did a lot of fundraising for schools, so we did a lot of fundraising kinds of things. Um, we decided, we actually moved in 2009 to where we live now, and so we left that parish, and that is still going strong, but we kind of felt like, now what do we do? We're, we're, we're gone now from that parish, and we kind of felt like we were still supposed to be working there. So in 2010, the earthquake happened. Um, and we found ourselves in Haiti again and decided that, you know, we really felt God calling us to do some more hands-on work in Haiti. So that's when we decided um, we would start this really small organization, Hands for Haiti. It started just with our family, um, just the five, our five kids and, and the two of us. But we started bringing groups to Haiti. Um, um, Terry and Bill Dooley, two, um, their children actually were in one of our first groups. We started being more involved directly in projects. We started working alongside the Haitian people. And we learned a lot. Has anybody been a missionary before or been to another country before? So you learn a lot as you go. And, you know, sometimes you think you know what you're doing, but then God likes to kind of knock you down a little bit and teach you maybe there's something else you need to know. So that's kind of what happened with us. So the first project we did was we built this home for an earthquake refugee family that had lost everything. And this story is kind of pivotal to kind of how our organization has grown. So we're in Haiti, and we thought we would do this amazing thing, and we'd build this house. So we brought this team, and we had everything all figured out, and um, we hired three Haitians to work with us, and we had our foreman who of course knew exactly what he was doing. So the first day we go and we're building this house and there are all these Haitians in this community. They're watching us build this house. And they're of course thinking we're this amazing Americans building this amazing house, right? I know that that's what they were thinking. You know it too, right? Yes. And we're like, oh, we're so awesome. We're building this house. And the next day, same thing. We're building this house and their foreman wants to do it one way, but our foreman he knows better because we know better what to do. And so we're building this house and this Haitians in this community are over here and they're watching us and they're thinking we are so awesome. Don't you think? No. So <laughs> by the third or fourth day, I'm thinking, okay, we're not really, um, we're not really bonding with this community. Like we thought that, that we would. So on that day, our driver had a flat tire and it's five o'clock and we Americans are tired and we're hungry and we're hot and we're getting restless and hangry. You know, when you're getting hangry, hungry and, and getting angry. So my son says to me, mom, you got to do something because our team is getting a little hangry. Um, so 
I, as is custom for me, decide to make a fool of myself so people will forget that they're hungry. So I grabbed this radio and stood up on this box and started rapping to this radio song, whatever. The Haitians decided that I was extremely interesting and funny, so they were, of course, came over to make fun of this white person on the box. Anyway, by the Haitians coming over and our team interacting, pretty soon we had a whole bunch of groups of people. Some people were playing Duck, Duck, Goose with people over here. Some people were talking over here. Some people were speaking English some Haitian, with some Haitians that knew English. And the one man um, that actually was one of our kind of complainers, but, I mean, that's okay. Everybody's got one of those. Um, he's kind of stepped back, and he said, you know, I finally realized we did not come here to build a house. That was just the means to get us here. This is what we came here for. So, of course, we needed to kind of be humbled, you know, and myself too, just to realize we need to do things a little bit differently. So we did from that point on. Um, we did things with the Haitians. So here you see we just we would bring um, um, uh, plants and uh, trees to people in the mountains to help with sustainable farming. So we started doing things with people instead of for people. Um, we helped to distribute water filters to Haitians that did not have any clean water. But all the time we're doing this, we're trying to still figure out where we're supposed to be, where we're going. So we learned a lot about both missionary work and the Haitian people. So we discovered that every time we brought a team back, these same people had the same problems. So we, we gave them water filters, but they still needed to find water. We would help with food, but they still needed to find food. We built a house for a man, but he still couldn't feed his family. So what do we do? So we kind of discovered that there's, there's really four top needs of any people. Food, education, healthcare, and faith. Now, I would put faith on the top, but um, food, education, healthcare, and faith. But really, most importantly, is human dignity. So we have this need to provide for our family. My husband has a need to provide for his family. He doesn't really want somebody to step in to provide for his family. He would like to do it. So even though these people are poor, they have the same needs. They want to be able to provide for their family. They don't want somebody else coming in. I mean, it sounds like, you know, they'll accept free things, but they don't really want that. They really want to be able to provide for their families, and that's really preserving their human dignity. So we thought, what could we do to help them be able to provide these needs for their family. So that's kind of how we gear all of our programs. We keep that um, in the forefront every time we decide the next thing that we're going to do. So all of our programs begin with T, T meaning little. Um, I like the slide up there that had said before, like you just need the faith of a mustard seed, you know? And we just really need to do small things, not huge, large things. Um, but the, right, so the, the small things all together make, can make a huge difference. And then, of course, we're meant to plant seeds. We're not meant to provide the tree. So it's, it's better to teach to fish rather than to provide the fish. You know that, that mantra. So we have this food program. So the, I'm going to go into the other programs that we have. It's called the Timanje Food Program. So in the mountains in Haiti, if you've ever been there, there's people that live in the mountains. There's people that live in the villages. 
the people, they're all poor, but the people in the mountains are like the poorest of the poor. So if there are no schools there, the parents really believe that education is golden for their children. So they will send their kids down the mountain to live in servitude in another home in exchange for the opportunity to go to school. Many times, though, they have to fend for themselves, actually most times, and they're not fed. So this program, what we do is these kids that come down from the mountains um, are in this program that we have, and we give them a monthly ration of beans, rice, corn, vegetables, and spices. Um, so that way they can cook for themselves and feed themselves when they go to school. And this is just a couple pictures of some of our teams. It's really special when we are able to bring teams if we can be there on Team on J Sunday. They really, um, it's really um, moving to just see them provide this for these kids, knowing that that's what they're going to eat all month long are the rice, corn, beans, vegetables, and spices. So, yep, so it's, um, i got to read this. Um, it's more than just passing out food. It's giving them hope for their future. I've seen a lot of these kids that have been in this program for a long time. They start when they're younger. We carry them through until they graduate. They could be 18 or 19 years old by the time that they can get through high school, but we will carry them all the way until they get through high school. So that's a, a really cool program that we do. The next one is in our agriculture programs. Um, Tijaden means little garden or little farm, little um, farm program. So this program started because of Bo. So, Bo. Bo is this man with eight kids, and he was living in this little dilapidated thatch-roofed shack, and all the kids had hammocks all lined up on top of each other, stacked up, so they could sleep. Very unhealthy, very wet in there. So we built Bo a house. We thought, this is, this is good for him. We built him a house. The next time we went... He still couldn't feed his family. His eyes were still yellow. His kids' eyes were still yellow. They still they looked very, um, you know, just very sad. We put the kids in the Team Anjay food program, but they just, even though they weren't from the mountains, but we needed to do something. But they still were, you, know, you could still see. Um, the life was just kind of sucked out of them. So we developed this farm program. So what we do is we have these acres, um, we have these plots of land that we rent. And we allow the farmers to work this property. We give them the tools, and they then kind of pay us back from the crop that they have. They will take some to market and sell it and keep some for their families. until they're, Then they take over the rent, and then eventually the land is theirs, and they, this farm is theirs. So we did this because of Bo, and I think Bo is in one of these pictures. He's in the middle picture on the top. I'll tell you what, um, I was telling one of our team members, wait, do you see Bo? He's walking down the, you'll see him walking down the path with a hoe on his shoulder, smiling. And they were like, yeah, Debbie, right. Well, <laughs> he did. And they were like, is this Bo walking down the path with a hoe on his shoulder? Not yellow in his eyes anymore. Just excited, happy, his kids happy. Um, we teach them farming techniques. We meet with them every, we do um, education for them, teach them how to budget, how to save, how to be independent. He now, when I visit him, he has to show me what he's done. And it's everything that he's done because he's now released and he is doing everything on his own. So that's really amazing. Let's see. So we thought that this is working super well, 
But now we, the people in the mountains, it's a little bit more difficult to grow. So we decided we will go up into the mountains and develop a program up there. In the mountains, their soil is bad, um, and it's just really difficult. So we thought, we're going to go up the mountain, and we're going to teach farmers up the mountain how to farm, right? Because we know what we're doing, right? Again, God had to kind of knock us down a little bit. So we went up to the mountains, started this mountain program. We started with 30 farmers, and our first season was great. Our second season crashed and burned. It was the dry season. And the farmers were discouraged. My workers were discouraged. And they said, well, it's just not going to work. So we went up there and had a meeting with everybody and said, so the thing is, is just because you fail doesn't mean that you fail. You fail forward, as my husband always told our kids. And figure out how to get through these challenges. So we had this huge meeting, and one farmer stood up and said, well, you know, I could help with this, and I could help everybody and do water runs. And another farmer said, well, you know, I could actually do that on this day. Another farmer said, well, I can do this. And somebody else said that they could help build fences around, you know, farms. And pretty soon, almost all of these 30 people were just just, just very excitedly talking, deciding on how they could help each other through the challenges that they were facing in the mountains. We now have 60 farmers up there. And they are doing amazing. This is them getting their water jugs. Um, so, um, so, they, so these are homes in the mountains. They support each other. They have been very teachable. They have ownership in their own farms. Um, we've been working at one community at a time. We're in five communities right now. We're able to track their statistics and how they're doing. And that's just been an amazing program. Education. We need education. So this is, um, we discovered, of course, in the mountains that there are not a lot of schools in the mountains. When there are not a lot of schools, the parents bring their kids down to the villages, remember, to work in servitude. So if there were a school in the mountains, the families could keep their kids in the mountains. So we work with communities that own their own land and we will help them build a school. So these are some kids, there are 260 kids actually in this school. They're all sitting on rocks right now. So we've, um, this is actually another slide of the, the school on the mountain. So we provided benches, we built benches, and then we started working on their school. So what happens is the whole community comes together the kids carry the water um, for the cement. These, they're super excited because they had books. Um, they don't have many books up there. So we started building a school, and the deal is this. We will help you build the school, but we will not sustain the school. That is your responsibility to sustain the school. We will go to bat for you in the government. This school is now accepted as a public school in the government, so they do subsidize this teacher's salaries. And... Um, the parents then have to pay the teachers. Now they'll say, we don't have any money. I'll say, well, if you have the money and you pay the teachers, what are the teachers going to do? They're just going to buy food. So do you have crops? Well, yes, we do, because many of them are in my farm program. I know you have crops. So they give then a percentage of that to their teachers. So actually, um, they're doing very well with supporting and sustaining the school. It's not quite finished in this picture, but... It was, it, was, it was getting there. Okay. So we have um, nutrition for the Timanjay kids. We have agriculture in our farming. 
and we have education. So now the last program that we have is our health care. So in 2016, we brought a team to Haiti to do a mobile clinic in the mountains. Um, it was great. It was our first health team. Um, so we were really excited, kind of didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we set off. Um, we arrived and we had a lot of people. We ended up treating 750 people in two and a half days. Had to turn away about 150, 200 people. Broke my heart. So we did a mobile clinic, um, really identified some needs that they have up there. Um, um, iron deficiencies, cholera was running rampant, um, a lot of different things. So that's Jeff, chiropractic, very important, very important. Um, I get a plug for you, honey. <laughs> yeah. So, so we have this team. So what happened was we, we, oops, I don't want this yet. So what happened was we went to church the next morning, the morning that we were leaving. And the pastor said to us, so thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for coming. We love when we get mobile, mobile, you know, health teams here. But then they don't come back for like five years. And then we'll get have another team up here. Then they don't come back for five years. Everybody forgets the people in the mountains. Please don't forget us. <sighs> really pulled on our heartstrings. So this group of people that you see here got together and we thought, what could we do? So this is what came of that. There we go. Oh, that's not the right one. Sorry. That's okay. It's a different one, but that's okay. We're just going to keep going until we can get that one. Ah, so right here, nowhere for them to go. Okay. Hold on. It's right here. <laughs> I'm going to go back one. We had it for a minute. So, um, so basically, we got together with the entire community, and they wanted a health clinic so bad, we found an old dilapidated... Mm -mm, that's okay. This one right here. So the community came together and we found an, an, an abandoned home and we put to, they put together, they renovated, they painted this health clinic. So we see about, two, about 200 patients a week at this health clinic. It's open five days a week. Um, before we started, um, they had cholera ran rampant through the mountains. And, you know, at first um, they came to the clinic, we gave them rehydration fluids until we could get them strong enough to get them down the mountain to the hospital. 
The following year, the government stepped in and gave us a cholera containment tent and some IV um, fluids. So we treated, um, yes, yeah, so IV, we treated them that way. And the number has gone down and gone down. And as of um, two years ago, we have not had a single case of cholera on that mountain. We have completely wiped it out. So we're super excited about that. But um, so here's some pictures. We, we treat a lot of babies. Um, there's, we do still bring mobile teams there. I have a couple statistics. So, um, so far in the last five years, we've seen 33,106 patients, and we are in 45 communities of people that have that walk to our clinic. This is our nurse, actually. She's like um, like a nurse practitioner type of a nurse, and she's there every day. So we do a lot of education also there. Here you see one of our team members. Um, doing some classes to some girls through their menstrual cycle. They cannot purchase Kotex items in the mountains. You can in the villages, but not in the mountains, so they don't attend school. So we have people that make a reusable, washable um, pads, and then we explain to them what their cycle is all about and do some education. So that is one of our team members doing that. These are all the girls. Um, we have these classes on a regular basis. We do same thing with anemia. We've helped wipe out anemia by putting some iron, um, these iron chunk kind of things in their cook pots. And if they cook with, with any kind of a, um, citrus, it leaches the iron out into their food. So they don't need, you know, because otherwise they were asking for, can we have iron supplements, iron supplements? So we said, well, let's see what we can do so we don't have to constantly bring iron supplements. That's been working also. So just do a lot of things up there. Um, we haven't had a team because of all the COVID and the political unrest that they've had there. But um, so these are some pictures of when our teams are there treating the kids. They're so excited. This is Dr. Whalen performing a minor surgery on somebody, actually. So we do other things out of the clinic. We help to give water filters. Um, so here's a group of people that we were giving water filters out to and helping them um, um, with understanding clean water. We have tippy taps that we've installed many different places so they can know how to wash their hands. I think that's all really helped with the cholera um, you know, being down. Education is really, really good there. Um, in this same community where the health clinic is, we have um, this outreach program. We have a, Bas a Baptist um, pastor who meets with people up there and does like some small group Bible studies in the area. So um, all this and you know the animals sometimes need assistance too. So we had to put the slide of the chicken in there with his broken leg that we fixed. So so this is our health clinic. Um, right now the issue with our health clinic is the babies are the babies we're dying. We've kind of helped them a little bit, but the mothers are not making it that are giving birth. So um, we really need to build a new health clinic and put a maternity ward in and do some, some education with some midwives, you know, so they kind of know what to do if they can't get to our clinic and then what to do, um, you know, how to treat them in the clinic, you know, maybe to get them down to, to the hospitals. But we're having, that's really a a difficulty right now. So what are our next steps? So those are basically our four programs, our food program, our agriculture program, our education program, and then our health clinic program. So for us, 
Um, we, we have land. We just purchased land last year to build a new clinic. We need to put a laboratory maternity center. And so these are just some next steps for us. We, we are interested in, in doing a clinic. I actually put a proposed um, thing on our board out there of what our new health clinic would look like. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing. So our vision, our vision here is really what to do is to build strong relationships with the Haitian people. Solidarity, I think that that's super important. We learn from them just as much as they learn from us. Dignity, to just preserve people's dignity in everything that we do, that we're doing it with them, not for them, and that we are helping them to be able to then do that for themselves. Very, very, very important. Um, really foster an awareness of selfless giving. Really, you know, as parents, sometimes your kids will say, you know, but why? And you're like, because I said so. Well, sometimes I think God is our father. All through the Bible, he tells us, feed the poor, help the poor, clothe the poor. So some people say, why really? Because God has asked us to. So um, that's kind of how we, we end our vision. We walk by faith and not by sight. Um, um, as I was reading a lot of your prayers um, up there, the, uh, the thanksgivings of people that this happened, you know, that they received money for a car and they had no idea how they were going to do it. Our entire organization has been walking by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we don't know how we're going to feed the kids next month and then we get a donation in the mail. It's kind of a little difficult way to run an organization, but it works. God always provides for us. So um, we really live by this, that if this is God's asking us to do, we're going to do it. And he'll provide a way for it to, us to do it. So this is just, oh, how can you help? Um, I have a table. We have a table in the back. Um, you can sponsor one of our Team NJ students. You can sponsor a farm. Um, you can help partner with us for a health clinic and ambulance and mission center. Join a team. Um, make a donation. I don't know when our next team is going. We're kind of on hold right now because of the way that everything is. But we love to bring teams. We usually bring three to four a year. So, so we're usually always bringing teams. So this is just, I think the next is just a video of just a thank you just for watching. And, yep. Nope. Oh, this was the health clinic one. <laughs> That's okay. This was the other, this is supposed to be the other video, but. <laughs> there we go. That's okay. It's good. Like when I close my Thank you for letting me tell you about our organization, Hands for Haiti. And thank you from the people in Haiti also. They just really appreciate everything that anybody does um, to help them. Anyway.